Welcome to the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good. This season, we're focusing on what nonprofit leadership looks like in this next normal. I'm your host, Ellen Graf Martin, and each episode, you'll get to join me in conversation with some of my friends and peers in the Canadian nonprofit space who are changemakers and groundbreakers across Canada and beyond. Let's jump in. Andy Harrington, welcome to the Changemakers podcast. I am so excited to talk to you today. Um, We have intersected over the years because, I I mean, you've been doing this for a while. We're going to talk about that. And so have I. Let's be honest. And one of the things I said to you as we were getting ready is if you stay in this sector long enough, you get to age along with people. And so (laughs) I count you as one of those people I've gotten to do that with. So um, welcome. So glad to have you here. Tell us who you are and what you do and why you love it. Well, thank you, Ellen. I, I think you're aging a lot better than me. Let's put it that way. And, uh, and uh, I, I'm very glad to be here. I'm looking at myself on the screen and, and reminding myself of the original Star Trek here as Lieutenant Uhuru, I think, but uh, just dating myself to prove that I'm aging. Um, so my name is Andy Harrington. I am currently the uh, CEO of the Wellspring Foundation for Education. We're an organization um, that works in the quality education sector, the whole educational ecosystem actually, in East and Central Africa with a really specific focus around the Rwanda area. However, um, I'm only in that role for another seven days because I'm transitioning to become the uh, executive director of the Canadian Food Grains Bank, which we can say a little bit more about later as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a time of transition. And okay, why do you love what you do? You got, you've been in it for a while, so you got to love what you do. Yeah, I've, I've had 32 years of, of, of leading. I used to be uh, one of the leaders at uh, Youth Unlimited, Youth for Christ. I, I worked around the world, was involved in uh, working with marginalized people uh, all over the world, actually. And, and that's why I love what I do. For me, those who are marginalized, those who, who live in the margins, those who, are, who don't have access to the resources that we have in all different ways, um, those are the people that God's always drawn my attention to. In fact, right from the very first moment I became a Christian, um, I wasn't raised in a Christian family. Right from the very first moment I became a Christian, God just pivoted me and pointed me toward those who um, did not have either access to what I had or did not have the um, the resources that, that, that I had, the assets that I had in order to, to get where I needed to be in life. I didn't come from a particularly rich family in that, but but we, we were okay. And, and um, I, I think in my low level of understanding way there at the time, I just knew that God's heart was for the poor. Mm. I, I knew that he had a heart that was for the poor in a way that uh, I later found out echoed its way through scripture. So I love what I do because we get to work in that world. Um, mm-hmm. Education uh, at Wellspring Education is, is one of the key factors that drives development in a country. Uh, the World mm-hmm. Bank recently came out with its human capital index and said the two key factors that will determine a country's path forward or its health system and its education system. Mm-hmm. So from the point of view of, of Wellspring, I've loved being in a place where I can say we have 200,000 children uh, going through our programs and that we're affecting the lives of hundreds of thousands more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has been a wonderful, wonderful thing for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. So 32 years of experience. <laughs> Know, in this right? sector. Studied, yeah. So, yeah. So what, and we've talked about that, what keeps you motivated to do this, but I guess what has led you to want to lead in this area as well? Because that's different. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's it's a weird thing, isn't it? Leadership is such a strange thing. I mean, I think some of us are driven because we want the power. Some of us are driven because it's a personality thing. I think for me personally, I, I was very impacted by a John Wesley quote. It's a very, very famous quote. And, I, and I've written it down because I knew it would come up today. Uh, and it was, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. And, and I think for me, mm. and I think with a, quite a shallow understanding of what that meant at, at the beginning of my life, I was constantly looking for ways to try and make that happen. And I, and I don't mean that in a, in a wow, aren't I cool ways. I mm-hmm. screwed up so many times. We, oh. could, we could do a whole podcast series on how not to do it based on Andy <laughs> Harrington's life. Okay? And mine I guarantee too. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> but but at the, the driving core has been to say, how can we leave the world better than we found it? Mm-hmm. How can we do something that makes a difference? Now, I think any leader has a bit of ego. Um, I would be it, it, I would be blind if I didn't say I had as well. I've enjoyed mm-hmm. leadership at most times. But I think the key thing has been to say, how can I help people to come to an understanding that they can make a difference in the world? Um, mm-hmm. I think leadership is about team. I don't think it's about one person. And so I, I happen to work with an amazing team at Wellspring. I'm looking at an amazing team I'm about to join at Canadian Food Grains Bank. Um, and, and for me, it's how can we come together and how can we work with our partners? How can we work with those who support us, our volunteers? How can we work with the people who we serve to build on their assets to make the world a better place? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would see you, maybe you don't see that yourself this way, but I would see you, um, especially having Youth for Christ background, um, Wellspring, as a fairly entrepreneurial leader, like figuring out what you need to do to get it done. Is that fair to say? <laughs> I, I think I think it is. Uh, um, well, I know it is actually. Uh, it, you can't be, you know, I was in Youth for Christ for many years. You can't be in Youth for Christ without being entrepreneurial. Yes, yes. But also, I, I work in a fabulous organization at Wellspring. It was founded by two young guys, Richard Taylor and Jeff Coman, who came into it as entrepreneurs. And, and I was on the board before I became the CEO. So watch this happen. And so the alignment of my experience at Youth for Christ working in the UK, in Central Europe, in Asia, um, over here in North America, came alongside a, a, an organization that always wanted to be a speedboat and mm-hmm. not an oil tanker, mm-hmm. but also really wanted to be good, really mm-hmm. wanted to be professional. And, and, and I think things aligned for that. And so it, we are an entrepreneurial organization. I am an entrepreneurial leader, but that's largely because of the DNA that was, was discipled into it. Our team, is, our team is, let's come up with something. Let's make things happen. And, and it, it's exciting. It's an exciting place to be. Well, and I appreciate that because I am the same way. <laughs> uh, and I started off in OM. So OM is ah, right. the, the ultimate entrepreneurial leader. So I spent five years in OM and you can't spend five years in OM that you're not changed that way. So, no, absolutely. Yeah. So how do you, so here's a question. And I didn't prepare you for this. So oh, well, that's uh, <laughs> Like Canadian Food Grades Bank seems like, okay, probably because bank is in the name, seems like a fairly solid, steady, non-entrepreneurial sort of organization. So how do you go into that as an entrepreneurial leader? Or is my preconception wrong? Well, um, I would say, I I don't, uh, I wouldn't want to say whether you're right or wrong in that sense. But what I can say is what I've seen so far. So to give you a little story here, um, the reason I'm transitioning from Wellspring is not because I want to leave Wellspring. I love Wellspring. It, I am that 
one person who can put their hands up and say, this is crazy. Why am I leaving something I love so much? But the reason why I'm tra transitioning to Canadian Food Grains Bank is because the incredible impact they have. And also because I feel that God, it, God called us to do that. And I would say they are actually quite entrepreneurial in that it's not one solid organization. It's actually an association of 15 members. And all of those 15 members are doing incredibly entrepreneurial things mm. in the majority world, in over 32 countries, over $42 million of expenditure um, on some of the most r really quite revolutionary programs around agriculture, on some of the, the, the best programs I've yeah. seen around food relief and food security. with a mission to end global hunger. It's not I think the word bank makes you think of the high street bank or the world bank. Mm -hmm. It's not like that. It's a, it's a place where the money comes together. The Canadian government funds in because of the trust they have. And that is then distributed quite fast right into the front lines to the programs that are making the change. I've actually just this morning, uh, been watching a live stream from an, a, a demonstration project in Saskatchewan of how their farming programs, Canadian food grains, uh, banks, farming programs, uh, work in places like Ethiopia, Tanzania, Kenya, over 62,000 smallholder farmers being touched there. They turned on a dime um, on, this, on this program. They showed how we can, sorry, I should say that differently. They showed how we can transition agriculture and increase crop yields, increase food security, increase nutrition, increase access for women to livelihoods. So I'm not, I'm not sure it's um, the word bank in the traditional sense applies here. I think I'll find out more when I get there. I'm sure yes. I will. But but everything I've seen so far, I've been extremely impressed with. Extremely impressed. Can't wait to get started, actually. Well, and by the time this airs, you are going to be well on your way there. So we will okay. check. We'll get an update and make Please sure to do. put that into the show notes and and have some updates from you. Uh, to I'd just love that. To tell us how you're doing. Yeah. So, so okay, you you touched on this. So why why transition now? I mean, you. You've you've had a good, as we say, a career in this. So why transition now? It's a it's a great question, Ellen. And I I'll get a little personal in it. I I actually believe in telling my personal story as well as I never. Whenever I do things like this, I never want to be the glitzy, plastic, happy, smiley. I'll mm -hmm. I'll tell the, the the truth. So so two things. One is um, I actually work on a. Um, I have a formula. It's a personal one for me. I've I've given it as advice to other people, but I've always said this might not work for you. And it, it's something that I felt God say to me when I first took on my very first leadership role at Youth for Christ when I was 26 um, and was a very young person to become the director of a chapter in the UK, which was a very good chapter. Um, and I said to them at the time, look, I'll, I'll, I'll stay with you for three years because you can't do anything in less than three years. In three years, you can, you can just about clear up the mess you made in the first year. Okay. <laughs> Five years though, so I won't, I won't leave for three years. Uh, we'll take a look then, and at five years, we'll see if I'm gonna go then. And, and the formula I put in place was right, in three years, God will have to tell me to go. But in mm. five years, uh -huh. he'll have to tell uh -huh. me to stay. Because uh -huh. I don't wanna get in the way of someone else. Something I really believe uh -huh. is bringing up, bringing up leaders, and I didn't uh -huh. wanna get in the way. So I ended up staying there for eight years. I went through that cycle. And on the eighth year, I felt God say, no, it's time to go. And we ended up going to uh, Bosnia and Croatia, actually. We worked in the war there um, in relief, relief works and youth work. Cut forward to now, that's been the same formula I've ever used. Well, this last year was my eighth year. And I, I had wondered if I was going. And sadly, um, my son was, uh, my son died as a result of a workplace accident. Uh, just as we were beginning the process of, of thinking that through. It was, a, it was a great 
tragedy to us and a shock. Um, and so we put all decisions off for a year as a family. Uh-huh. Uh, we just said we can't, we just need to learn how to breathe again. Uh-huh. And so last Christmas around December, uh, we really felt it was time to, to pick up the reins and, 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 and move forward and get back to life. And one of the things I said to Helen, my wife, is I think we need to think and pray uh, about that. And, and uh, Canadian Food Grains Bank had actually contacted me through their search people around six months before. And I'd said, can't even talk about this. Uh-huh. We're in the middle of a year of grieving. Uh-huh. And, I, and when I said, and in the night I said to Helen, uh, you know, I think we should be praying about this. Four hours later, my email went and said, ding, uh, hey, the position has come back open again. Would you be willing to have a conversation? And I thought that's really weird uh-huh. because I'd actually said to her that day, the one thing I'd, I'd think about that would take me out of Wellspring is something that has a real impact globally where I could really, really be part of an amazing team making a difference. And we went through a process of prayer over two weeks and discerning and thinking. I came to realize at Wellspring that my job was mostly cheering people on and making the coffee and, and, and stamping the envelopes because they were so great. The team is so amazing. I just thought it's time for a new challenge. And, and mm-hmm. they found a great new CEO and a gentleman called Kevin Dixon. And he just became available at the right time. It's, it's felt like God, Ellen, mm-hmm. but it's also given me, if I'm really honest, it's given me this sense of, of um, God's plan, and I don't believe in the linear railway track. Mm-hmm. I believe in a frame that we operate in, um, has has been to prepare us for this. And so, that's why I'm leaving. I'm leaving for those two reasons: one, because I feel God has led us there, mm-hmm. and that's been confirmed in many ways; and two, because I really, really believe that there is a place that uh, there's a place that's um, I'm I'm equipped to help them in, and uh, mm-hmm. not to be the savior, because they're a wonderful organization, but to come in and learn mm-hmm. and serve and walk forward mm-hmm. with them. That's a long explanation. That's good. I'm sorry it took so long, but uh, no, that's the truth of it. It's it's really good, and I think, I mean, I I just so everyone knows, we have suggested interview questions, but really, I'm more interested to hear what you're going to say, because um, because I wonder if you can offer some insight uniquely right now to leaders who are, I mean, we've, we are walking through a global crisis yeah. <laughs> and we are leading through a global crisis. And then there will be people who are leading through a global and personal crisis. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you have insight to give to that leader who is walking th- through that right now. That's a really interesting question, Ellen. And actually, you're not the first person who's asked me that because our, our, our situation has been quite public because Chris was quite well known in his world. We're quite no, well known in our world. And a number of people have come to me and said, in this time of COVID where people are dying across the world or we're locked in or we're, you know, f- f- friends who have suffered loss or perhaps you're a, you know, a young married couple that are trying to struggle for this. Perhaps you're a woman in an abusive situation. This question has come up to me a number of times. And I'm not sure I can give lots of advice, but what I can say is three things. The first one is this. Um, At times like this, I've found it's more important than ever to just sit and be and not react. Mm. To just sit and be and live in the pain and learn how that can be tolerated. How can you tolerate the intolerable? Mm. I watched Hamilton the other day and they talk about dealing with the unimaginable. And how can you deal with the unimaginable? And the first place that starts is with being quiet. I had a year of God being quiet with me, and I came to realize that what he was actually doing was protecting me. Uh, I wanted him to come and give me a big hug and tell me he loved me and, you know, be a puppy dog and jump on me. And he was silent, and I came to realize 
the shepherd is out there building a wall of protection around me and I learned to be quiet and just be and immerse mm-hmm. myself in my emotions. So that's the first thing I would say is don't, re- don't deny yourself the emotions that you're feeling. Just be and bring them to God. The second thing I would say is once you've done that, once you've brought some balance and, and that, that's a, it's a parallel process. You never get to a place where that's done. Mm-hmm. It's, it comes in ways. Mm-hmm. The key thing is to say, this is not my life forever. Mm-hmm. I need to figure out, I need to understand that there is a future ahead of me. I may not know what it is, but I need to understand that there is a future ahead of me, that, that the God who has always been with me will not fail me now, even though my life has been ripped asunder. The God who has always been there in the past, like a series of stepping stones that rose across a river as I trod into the raging torrent, will pre- create the stepping stone to come up under my feet when he asks mm. me to walk next time. So that's a confidence thing, rebuilding trust. And then when you're ready that, I have found in my own life, that's when God says, okay, now let's, you're ready, let's talk. Mm-hmm. So that, those are the three. And so that, that third thing means that when it's time, don't stay static, move mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. You, you can't in the grief, you can't move forward and leave the grief. You carry the grief with you. Mm-hmm. My, my wife and I have talked about how a hole has opened up in our lives and and at first, it was this awful, terrible pit. And we couldn't even look into it. It was such a shock. And what we're learning to do is to plant flowers around the edge of it and turn mm. it into a garden where we can remember the beautiful things and, mm-hmm. and also where we can refresh ourselves to go forward to the next things. Mm-hmm. So those would be the three things to me, to sit and be mm-hmm. still, to trust and have confidence. And then when the, when the time is right, not to say, I can't do this anymore, but to move and, mm-hmm. and, and believe. and. There's lots of little ancillary things. We've mm-hmm. had an amazing group of friends and family around us who have not let us go, have encouraged us. Uh, and so it's finding the right people around you. So this intersects with the personal and work, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. We are in a crisis. Absolutely. Terrible things are happening. But I think these are things that now, if we allow them to, can actually propel us to be better at what we do mm-hmm. so that we can take... There's, there's no bright light in you losing my son. no. No. But we can take lessons and hopefully become better people and better at what mm-hmm. we do and better servants as we go forward with more empathy and more compassion. Absolutely. Well, and the empathy that this will allow you for the people that you serve is extraordinary. I'm, however, I'm sorry that you had to learn the lesson so that you that you could be empathetic. It's well, thank, thank you. Thank you for trusting us with your story. I really appreciate that. I have learned, one of the things I've learned is it's important to tell the story of who we are. Everybody has a story, Ellen. Mm-hmm. I know we're totally off, you know, I've got your this questions. This is good, oh yeah. I, I'm just going to throw them. <laughs> yeah, we prayed that God would lead us. <laughs> so. Okay, well, we'll see where this goes. I have learned, I learned this in Croatia, in Bosnia, in Africa, in Canada, in Sri Lanka, during the tsunami, relief efforts, everywhere I've gone. Everybody has a story. And every single time we see people as a group or those people or the others, we objectify them. And the greatest sin we can mm-hmm. have is to treat people as objects. Mm-hmm. That's what we see happening around the world all the time. You know, we even do it in our work when we talk about numbers and stuff. We can, we can objectify people. Everybody is a unique mm-hmm. individual created in the image of God, worthy of the dignity and justice mm-hmm. and, and love that you and I long to experience mm-hmm. in our own lives. Mm-hmm. And our stories inform us and make us who we are. And if we're, if we're able to share those, uh, to, to, to share those, 
they inform other people and help them become who they want to be as well. I learn so much from my friends. Do you know when I learn the most, Ella? I learn the most when I'm in places like Rwanda and I'm invited into a, um, a small brick, you know, mud brick house with one room and me and my friends sit down. This is a real story, but me and my friends sit down with a lady who's a widow. She doesn't have much. She has a small holding farm. And we walk in and the table is full of bottles of Coca-Cola and Fanta and there is bread. And I look and realize that this woman has probably spent a month's income mm-hmm. on giving us rich, white, mostly white Westerners mm-hmm. pop and bread. And I feel so humbled. And I look mm-hmm. around and I think, okay, who is the poor person here? Mm-hmm. It's not that lady. <laughs> No, she, no, she's given everything here. And, and moments like that are when I learn about myself and I sit and listen to her story and I feel so privileged, mm-hmm. so incredibly humbled to be in mm-hmm. that kind of presence. I think we need more of that in our world. We need to share mm-hmm. our stories. We need to mm-hmm. tell each other who we are and we need to learn from each other and mm-hmm. not objectify each other. Are you a nonprofit leader passionate about your organization's mission, but unsure how to communicate it effectively? Do you wish your communications budget went further, that your development and communications teams worked better together, or that you had a stronger plan to find new supporters? At Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good, we get it. With you in mind, we've custom built solutions for nonprofit organizations to make your message have more impact, reach further, and connect with the right people for years to come. Schedule your free consultation by emailing solutions at grafmartin.com. Again, that's solutions at grafmartin.com. Well, and you know, at the beginning of this crisis, this pandemic, I was watching, so my husband and I love the news. We don't love watching American news right now, but we love the news. <laughs> and we were watching um, someone be interviewed on schooling. It was a, it was a, it was a Steve Pakin show on TVO here in Ontario, which we've become total nerds for. But she, he was interviewing someone who has worked on education globally, and she said, "Although this is a crisis to us, and we don't know what it will look like." We aren't the first people to have to walk through this. In Bosnia, just she's actually was talking about Bosnia and families that had worked through war or had lived through war, their kids couldn't go to school then. <laughs> and they had to homeschool and they had to find alternative plans. And she said, we aren't the first, we can learn from them. And But that's the only time I have ever heard that perspective. We see a lot of memes, <laughs> we hear yeah. a lot of complaining, but we don't hear that perspective. Well, you know, so she is so right. So whether it's Bosnia or whether it's Rwanda or whether it's anywhere in in the world that is suffering at the moment, isn't it interesting that we in the West suddenly couldn't find a bottle of disinfectant or some hand washes? Or I remember Helen trying to find some yeast and she couldn't find yeast. Man, we had shortages, but we didn't starve. Mm-hmm. And we could find what we wanted. Basically, we got really upset because we couldn't find some, you know, really lovely ingredients from for for some of our, you know, a Thai Thai dish we want to make or something. Mm-hmm. The people we work with are still in that extreme. Some of them are still mm-hmm. in that extreme poverty line. You know, the 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 UN Secretary General did the Nelson Mandela lectures four days ago from when we filmed this. So it'll probably be a month mm-hmm. or two by the time it goes out. And, and one of the things he talked about is how we have said that the extreme poverty line is $1.68. Mm-hmm. 
And because it's $1.68, we have moved hundreds of millions of people out of extreme poverty. And that's the thing you see. Have you tried living on $1.68, even in Africa? The, co the country I work in, it costs 500,000 US dollars to buy a house in the capital city. It's, it's not a lot of difference. Uh -huh. You cannot live in $1.68. So what we did was we allowed massive international, uh, multinational institutions to set a limit that was completely ridiculous uh -huh. so that we could say we're moving people out of poverty. Food shortages, lack uh -huh. of education, lack of healthcare, that is a daily reality for hundreds of millions uh -huh. of people across the world. Uh -huh. And the, the World Bank has just come out and said, sorry, the World Food Programme, rather, has just come out and said that there will be at least another 130 million people moving into massive food instability, real hunger, uh -huh. in the next year as a result uh -huh. of COVID-19. That's one of the things that the Canadian Food Grains Bank will be on the front lines of uh -huh. dealing with. I'd love to say more about that in a moment. Yeah. We, yeah. we, we are privileged. And, and, and that doesn't, that shows no more, uh, no more obviously to me in a time when we have shortage of some wonderful luxury items and we think how uh -huh. awful things are when uh -huh. people I know are starving. Uh -huh. starving around the world. Uh -huh. Our organization just supplied, moved from education to food supply for 12,000 people in one of the districts we work in. Uh -huh. Because how can, we, how can we help them with education if they can't eat? Yeah. So I, I'm quite passionate about this. It's actually another reason why I'm going to the bank. Uh -huh. Because we have to, as Canadians, uh -huh. be on the front line of dealing with these issues that are coming uh -huh. at us like a locomotive train. Uh -huh. Yeah, and food insecurity is something that we got this tiny, I mean, people thought that there was food insecurity a couple of months ago. Um, and I, I, my shameful moment was going through Costco at the beginning of the, all of this and saying, I have no idea what it's going to look like in over the next couple of months. And my cart was so loaded. I wasn't hoarding, I yeah, promise, I watched it. but it was no, just like, I, I, I genuinely wasn't hoarding, but I was like, what are we going to need? for the next two months if we just can't get back here. And so my cart was loaded and that was, and it was funny because when I was walking through Costco, everyone was like zombies. They wouldn't talk to each other. They wouldn't look at each other. They were afraid of each other. And there was this general fear. And so, I mean, that's kind of what food insecurity feels like to us, but what does food insecurity really feel like? Because we need to understand it. Yeah. So, so it's interesting because this is going to be my new world, but I've had quite a, you know, I've had some experience here, but I've had a, a quite a taste of it in, in these last four months as our organization had to pivot uh, towards dealing with that. And I, I think what we have to remember is that there is food insecurity in Canada. You know, 27% of people in BC live below the poverty line. Um, in my old work, we, I did a lot of work in East Vancouver around East Hastings Street, which is, has its strap line. Uh, you'll see on various websites, mm -hmm. is the worst postcode in, in, uh, in North America. Well, what does the worst postcode mean? I met a lot of beautiful people there, mm -hmm. but there was an awful lot of homelessness and, 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 and uh, hunger actually there as well. So food insecurity is here, but it's not, it's very different in the majority world where you don't know if you're going to be able to put food on the table for the next meal, let alone the meal in two months time that you're stocking up for, as we all did. Don't feel guilty mm -hmm. about that, Helen. We all, Ellen, we, <laughs> we all did that. Um, 
you know, it was brought home to me a, a while back when my wife and I were visiting Rwanda and visiting one of the schools we work in. And um, she watched, I was in a meeting, she was outside and she watched a young boy walk across the playground and keel over, he just fainted. Mm. And she ran to help him and another teacher ran to help. And, she, and, and the teacher, she said, what's going on here? And she said, well, we know that this boy hasn't eaten for seven days. He lives with his grandparents and they've got no food. And it was at that point she came to me and this was in, this wasn't in Wellspring, this was in our previous organization. She said, we have to start a feeding program here before mm-hmm. we do anything on education because mm-hmm. we can't teach people math or English mm-hmm. if they're keeling over in, in the classroom. And mm-hmm. the, the school already had a plan to do that. We were able to get behind mm-hmm. and help them. So what does food insecurity look like? It looks like hundreds of millions of people mm-hmm. in that situation. Mm-hmm. It looks like people in refugee camps trying to figure out how they're going to get food when they have no access to supply whatsoever. It looks like people, it looks at the moment where food supply chains are broken down. There's food in the ground that's been grown, but there's no way to get it to market because of the lockdown. Uh It looks like borders closed and and the inability to to have trade. Uh It looks like crops rotting in the ground because they can't be harvested, which means a smallholder farmer can't sell them. So they can't buy the food, the, the, the seed for the next crop. And that creates long-term instability. It looks like a lot more people being in a situation where they are there. I've never really been hungry, but I've had it described Mm -hmm. to me by people on the ground where they can't think of anything else other than I have to eat. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I would say Ellen, that, that it's a, it's a crucial, crucial things for Canadian Canadians to be aware of. And we're in a growing food crisis that we're going to see around the world. Um, we have to help. And there is a place for Canadians to help. Uh-huh. One of the things, one, one of the other reasons why I'm joining Canadian Food Grains Bank as a Christian is it's a, it's a, it's a Christian faith-based organization. I love the fact that it's 15 denominations that are maybe quite separated in their theological stance. But when they come and sit around the table, all they think about is Matthew 25 stuff what you did for the least of these you did for me and they come together and it's, it's love lived out in action. Mm. And I, I want, I want Canadians to understand mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. inside the church and outside the mm-hmm. church, you know, in a time where Christians get a bad rap because of some of that stuff you watch on the yeah. American news and yeah. a bit on ours yeah. sometimes as well. Yeah. Totally. I want, I want people to see, no, this is what Christian love is. This is, this is, our, you know, Canadian food grains bank, you know, helped nearly a million people last year. I think the exact stats are 866,000 people. That's Canadians did that. That's uh, people who made that happen in uh-huh. farms across the country, in churches. That's Canadians. And we need to be so, so proud of that. Uh-huh. But as a country, we need to do more. Uh-huh. I, 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 we, are, we want to see the government increase its overseas development aid. We should be at 0.7%. We're about 026 at the moment. We want to see them do uh-huh. more and we want to see them come alongside those that are hungry. And we know there's an interest uh-huh. there to do that. We know uh-huh. they want to do that. Uh, and we're starting to see their response already. So we encourage them to do more. That's so good. So there again, we have so much to talk about, but collaboration is something that you just mentioned. Um, honestly, I think the way forward, <laughs> the way of the future, uh, not just the way of the future, but the way now today is collaboration between like-minded organizations. Last year, I wasn't, I'm trying to think what year are we in? This year is the weirdest <laughs> year. Like, when did we do this? Um, Can we just blink 2020 out? Can we just pretend it didn't happen? It wasn't last year. It was at the beginning of this year, I believe. Um, I hosted, 
with Allison Alley uh, at Compassion, a breakfast with with a group of leaders. And we were talking about how if we could collaborate and bring all of our strengths to the table and say, hey, I'll do this part. You do that part. Um, someone else says, I can do this part. We can do so much more. So tell me about how you're seeing that shift as well. Well, first of all, let me just say, I'm a fan of Alison Alley. I think she's an amazing leader at Compassion. I think we could all learn a lot from Alison. Um, uh, I, I actually believe, I, I had a conversation with uh, two other CEOs of an organization, we, of, of two, three organizations that came together on a little Zoom call to say, how can Wellspring work together? And, and in one of our core values at Wellspring is open-handedness and open sourcing. Oh. Anything we've got, we want to give away. I've always believed in collaboration. There is no more time where that is, there's no time where that's been more important mm-hmm. than at the moment. I completely agree with you, Ellen. So let me break that down into two chunks, first now and then the future. Uh, I think we have been, as a sector, way too siloed. I believe we haven't shared enough. And, and I think we've been a bit protective and it's that whole fundraising thing that comes into that. Uh, but it's also the way in which, you know, the, the, the size of the country works. One of the good things that's happened, and, and and like I said earlier, even in awful times, you can find good things, is what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. You know, I have been on calls with Zoom people, and you know, whether whether they're in, whether they're in the office next door to me or in Ottawa, we have exactly the same access to each other. I have seen collaboration absolutely mm-hmm. flourish mm-hmm. in the last four months, and I think that's crucial. Because every report I'm reading at the moment says that charities are in danger. Uh-huh. Uh, it says that people want to see people, you know, people working. We are going to have to collaborate. We need to share our resources. Uh-huh. The finance is not going to be available as we hit the economic consequences of what's happened with COVID. And so in many ways, we're going to be forced to collaborate. But actually, I think that's a wonderful thing. Uh-huh. Because the kingdom of God says bringing people together. Uh-huh. So when I look, so Wellspring's always been great at doing that, and we want to do more. But when I look to my future, starting on August 31st, I'm entering into something that was formed as a collaborative partnership, and it's always had that in its heart. So it has its 15 member organizations who then work with their people on the ground in many other member organizations, and, and, and we get to come together around the world to do things that, that bless people, that bring people out of hunger and global hunger, hopefully that's the ultimate uh-huh. aim, and bring people together. Collaboration has to happen in Canada or worldwide for us to survive. It's a survival uh-huh. thing now, not just uh-huh. a nice to have. Uh-huh. So important. And I and I agree with you. I think this is what people need to see. Donors want to see right now that it matters to them. Um, and it matters to them because it's also a really good investment. Uh, yeah, totally. when you're When you're investing into a collaborative partnership. And the funny thing that came up in that breakfast is they said, you know, we do this overseas. So it's really common on the field where you have five organizations working together, but it doesn't happen a lot in Canada. So how is there something we can learn from the Food Grains Bank about how to do this better in Canada? Well, well, I think there's, I'm going to use both Food Grains and Wellspring. So an example of it on the field is at Wellspring, we head up a collaboration over, of over 100 agencies in Rwanda that are engaged in education, and we collaborate together and we represent that to the government, the Rwandan government. So we speak with one voice and we share resources, and it's a wonderful thing. Food Grain starts with 15 members. It was actually started by the MCC back over 40 years ago, I believe. Um, and and these, they shared from their heart was to share from the start and say, this is bigger than us. 
And so slowly members, well, quickly at the beginning, and then since then more members have joined. Um, and I think what it shows is that when we come together, we can A, leverage more resources, because in the end, it's not about us. Mm-hmm. It's about the people that we're trying to see come out of hunger. We can leverage more resources. We can share our expertise. But I think there's also a spiritual component to it as well, which is that, you know, it's that whole unity running down the, the beard of, of Aaron mm-hmm. that we read in, in Psalms, you know. There's a place where you sit around the table and you look at each other and say, this isn't going to fail because of me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to allow it. I am going to make you successful because it, it, it reflects well on all of us. Mm-hmm. And in that, we find, you know, the synergy of success as people come together. So I think the learning from Food Grains and, and from Wellspring is that we are better together. Mm-hmm. But unity changes things. And, and that means sometimes overlooking, you know, those stupid arguments that we have. And, and I'm not a big fan of some of the culture wars that go on mm-hmm. where we have decided this is the big thing we're going to be angry about this week. Let's just put that aside and try and see things through the eyes of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not interested in a theological argument about something that we might find a couple of verses about in the Bible. When I see through the Bible, feed the poor, care for the poor, over 200 references to righteousness and justice together in, in the Old Testament mm-hmm. alone. Jesus walking into so many situations to a party with the Pharisees and saying, you know, reaching out particularly to, to the paralyzed man who's unclean and shouldn't even be acknowledged in that meeting, really. But mm-hmm. that he puts his laser-like focus on that person. And I think when we can come together around that heart of God, we can do great things. And mm-hmm. I think it's reflective to the rest of the nation mm-hmm. in terms of what the church should be as well. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned something earlier. So, and you said you don't want to be plastic. So I'm going to say it. So you said one of the big things as leaders that we have to do is lay our ego aside, acknowledge our ego. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know if there's even a way to really lay that ego aside, but to acknowledge it yeah. is a massive step in being able to collaborate. Well, I, I think it is. I think, I think that there's a couple of things we have to do. We have to learn to say sorry more. Oh. I think, I think it, 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 there's a, I bet there's a bunch of organizations that would be working if they didn't together, if they didn't have some kind of historical landmine that stops that. And I think sometimes we just have to say, sorry, I've experienced that myself. You know, guys, I'm, I'm really sorry. I wasn't even involved in that, but that should never uh-huh. happen. Or yes, I was involved in that, uh-huh. but that should never have happened. <laughs> I think there's that. I think there's also realizing that some, some leaders have skills that we don't, and we shouldn't be uh-huh. insecure about that. We should just say this person is better at this than I am. Let me get behind them. Uh-huh. Do you know, here at Wellspring, we actually have a team philosophy, which I think is worth saying because I think it's, uh-huh. I'm beginning to see it played out in Canada. We call it the, the goose analogy. So, so rather than saying you're responsible for this, you're responsible for this, you're responsible for this, we have a mentality with our team that we're all responsible, but every now and then, one goose uh-huh. needs to fly to the front and we get behind and tuck uh-huh. in. So, hey, we're doing this event, so we're all tucked in behind you. Uh-huh. And, hey, that's over now, so you slide down uh-huh. and take it easy in the slipstream and this person comes forward. And I think that's a really good analogy for how we need great to analogy. In, in collaboration. Like, yeah. this is you. How can we help you? Hey, now it's us. How can you help us? Uh-huh. And we, if we can do it well, we slide it in like that and we don't even realize that there's ego uh-huh. involved because we're just saying, Let's come together. There's some great associations beginning to do that now across uh-huh. the country that I'm excited that uh, I get to be part of at, at Food Grains. So Bank. good. Well, and I, 
I can see a generation of leaders being raised up who are in that mindset. They really are. And so I'm glad, I am glad that you are one of those leaders. <laughs> I hope so, Ella. <laughs> it's all good on the podcast. We've got to put it into real life. <laughs> there you go. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Well, and I guess the other piece would be, and I think that you would have something to speak into this on, is um, when it's time to transition out. So we've had, we actually had Tim Day speak about this um, as he transitioned out from the meeting house to working with Waybase. We had Drew Marshall talk about this and about how he actually had to leave the ministry because he was not sure about his faith. So, and, and in both of those, we said there are leaders who are staying in it because it's safe mm. and uh, they don't know what else they would do if they didn't do this. Yeah. Um, you know what? Yeah. And then in a time, time like this, this it's, it's even, even more tempting, tempting. Yeah. <laughs> or, or scary. scary. So. so, you know, Ellen, I, I think that's, you know, both, uh, both Drew and Tim have, have really nailed that. And, and I think for me, I, I think you've, you've said something that's very important there. I, I love this job that I'm in at Wellspring. I love this organization. There is honestly not one of those things where I'm going or I'm leaving because of that. It's just like, mm -hmm why am I, I i've asked myself on numerous occasions why am why am i leaving and and i'm leaving because god said it's time and i'm going to an amazing thing that he allowed me to be part of and and just i'm sure there are people involved with food grains listening to this i have a lot to learn mm -hmm. i am not coming in thinking man i'm going to shake things up it's such a great organization i just got to learn um but the thing is, I don't have to learn at Wellspring because I, I uh -huh. it's 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 my uh -huh. DNA, and it would uh -huh. be safe to stay here, and, and it, the future is wonderful. We've just launched a four-year, a five-year vision document called for uh, for, um, for every child, uh -huh. and it, it's going to move us from working with two hundred thousand children to two million children by twenty twenty-four. Wow. That's an amazing thing, uh -huh. and and we have a plan to do it. And all, everything's in place. We're looking at other countries. We're looking at a much wider work with the government. There is many things I could be excited for and stay here. But I think the thing that jogged me was knowing if I stayed now, it would be safe for me. Uh -huh. I would, I, I, and, and it wouldn't take much more for me to just lose that entrepreneurial uh -huh. nature that you said and uh -huh. just sit in the corner and drink coffee and say, good job, guys, and occasionally jump up and speak some things. I'm not wired that way. Uh -huh. um, and I think, I think I've got one more kick in the, you know, we have all, we're all growing yeah. old as you said, yeah. I have one more kick in the can left in me. And I'd like this to be the last kick in the can. We'll see. <laughs> but um, I, 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 I want to be part of something that's, that is literally changing the world. And I think Canadian Food Greens Bank is, but I'm leaving something that I think will change the world. It okay. just needs someone with a fresh vision and a fresh set of eyes. I think uh -huh. Kevin, as he comes in and our team will notice things that I, I'm blind to. Uh -huh. And I'm more concerned with the future of those kids we work with than me keeping a job that I love. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. It, there are other things I, I now need to do. Uh -huh. it's, it's time. It's just time. Oh, it's so good. We have covered a lot of ground in this interview, and I'm so glad that people are getting to meet you through this. Can you tell me um, if they want to know more about Canadian Food Grains Bank or Wellspring or you, how do they find that out? So for, for let's start with Wellspring because that's currently where I'm at. Um, Wellspring has a great social media presence, so you can look up the Wellspring Foundation for Education on Twitter, Instagram, 
and on Facebook, or you can go to our website, which is a, we've been recently redesigned. It's got a lot of information there at uh, www.wellspringfoundation.org. Uh, Food Grains Bank, uh, you can go to Food Grains CA to look at the website, but also has a really good social media presence on mm. Twitter, Instagram, uh, and Facebook, Canadian Food Grains Bank. For me personally, uh, you can go on my Twitter feed, it's Harrington Andy, and that's also my Instagram feed as well. Um, and so I, I, and I generally would retweet a lot of stuff that I think is important around the world. All opinions are my own. <laughs> so, I just it. need to let the people at Food Grain yeah. know that. But I try, I, I, uh, there are occasional times mm-hmm. when I think, man, we need to. Can I just say one other thing as we finish? Absolutely. I, I feel it would be wrong not to comment on some of the injustice that we see in the world at the moment. So we are watching a wave of people around the world rise up and say, we don't want this anymore. We can't take mm. this anymore. And I know, you know, some of the phrases are controversial phrases and there are pitfalls you can go in. But I think one of the things that that we are seeing in the world is that sense of God's heart for the poor and his anger against injustice. If we are made in the image of God, that is coming out. And maybe not every action is is a godly action or anything, but there is a place that people are coming Mm. from, whether it's Black Lives Matter or, um, you know, the the issues we're facing uh, in terms of income inequality, what, what, Ever it might be racial injustice i think as christians it's really important for us to start to grapple with those issues at a mm-hmm. deep level and not to try and take a political stance politics and faith should not mix and i know that's a controversial thing to say in north america but uh, jesus doesn't take political sides jesus mm-hmm. takes the side often takes the side of the poor you mm-hmm. see it again and again and so I think as Christians, we have to grapple with that. We have to grapple that in the context of education in the developing world, in the majority world. We have to grapple with that as more and more people move into, into hunger. We also have to grapple with it here in Canada. We can't just look at the border and say those people have a problem down south. Mm-hmm. We have our own issues here of systemic mm-hmm. racism and systemic injustice. And I did want to make sure I said that in this that's podcast good. because I think that's going to be a key part of what every leader in every organization needs to look at. Mm-hmm. Where are my blind spots? Mm-hmm. What, what, what are we doing that's a blind spot because we think we're okay? We are not okay. And, and I think things like COVID and everything that's happened has brought this to the forefront. And so it's time for us as leaders to take our lenses off and say, you know, to listen and to mm-hmm. get educated and to lead change, not be caught up in you know, mm-hmm. following the latest political craze. I, that is such a good word. And what the, the, the piece that resonated with me is what if this time is just that bubbling up of God's heart in a different way for us to like it, things needed to be rattled in a very significant way, potentially for us to be willing to even look at that um, yeah. blind spot and what God's heart really is right yeah, now. Absolutely. Oh, so good. Andy, Thank you for spending time with us. I'm so grateful. And uh, I am sure this is not the last conversation we're going to have. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Ellen. I so appreciate this time. This conversation went in an interesting direction, didn't it? But yeah, and it's, it's, great. it's about being real. So uh, exactly. I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank uh, you. It's a whole purpose for this podcast. So um, I love it. So glad it went in a different direction and uh, just trusting that it will be what our listeners out there need to hear. Take care, Andy. You too, Ellen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good. 
Graf Martin is Canada's leading integrated marketing and communications agency for nonprofit organizations seeking to do more good. If you need an agile, full-service marketing agency to move your organization forward, we get it. Visit grafmartin.com to learn more and schedule your free consultation so that you can do more good.